Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. This is a good news story that starts on a glorious sunny day. It then gets tough, but still finishes in a good place. Cecily Patterson's life was turned upside down after that sunny day when she prayed to God to show her love. God gave her love, but differently to what she'd imagined. Cecily's son Cameron was diagnosed with autistic spectrum disorder when he was three. The diagnosis caused grief, pain and anger for Cecily, and it led to some very dark places. Love, Tears and Autism is the book Cecily has written to encourage others going through tough times. And she joins us on Open House. Cecily, welcome. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks very much for coming in. That sunny day in Sydney was when you prayed for God to show you love. I bet you didn't expect it to turn out like this. Yeah, look, you've got to be careful what you pray for, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) It was a good prayer. It wasn't the answer that I expected, though. Why did you pray it at the time? I prayed it. I don't know why. I just had this feeling that I needed to be praying for something really big in my life, something, some real big ministry that, you know, would just be so good. You know, I could do so many things for God and I, pr- I prayed for something different and I got told off by God and told to pray for something else. And you so sure I got did. something big. Yeah, that's right. I did. Yeah. So in the years to come, you miscarry a child and then you're pregnant with Cameron, which yeah. must have been a great joy then. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Totally was, smitten when he was born. I really, really wanted that baby and I was so happy when he came along and he was gorgeous. He was lovely. He was a very easy baby, I have to say as well. Life just started getting a little bit difficult after we turned one. Put into words that joy before anything was identified. What was life like then? Well, I just felt like I had my, I had the family that I wanted. Well, I didn't quite have it. I still wanted the third child. But all the, you know, I, I loved my kids and I loved hang, hanging out with them and spending time with them. And I, I wanted to be a mother. And um, I wanted to look back in the backseat of the car and see three little blonde heads all smiling, all doing the right thing. And lots of love, as you'd prayed well, of course, to God you for. know, yes. lots, lots of good feelings. That's what I wanted. Yes. So how long after he was born did you realize something was different? I started to notice it really when he returned about 18 months. If I look back now, I can probably see signs from about one. He wasn't doing the same things as his sister had done at the same age. You know, it's that really cute age where you say to your child, oh, where are your shoes? Go and get your shoes. And they off, they toddle off and they get their shoes and they come back. And they can kind of, without talking to you, they can understand what you're saying to them and they can do things for themselves and they're just starting to really live in the world. But he just wasn't starting to do any of those things. I started talking to my friends. I said, oh, I'm really concerned about him because he can't do this, he can't do that, he seems to cry all the time. And they would all say, oh, well, he's just a boy and boys do things differently from girls. You know, Einstein didn't talk till he was three and he's a genius. Teething. Yeah, well, teething, that's right. So all the excuses. But really, the problems didn't go away. They just got worse. See, the mother knows. Yeah, the mother knows. That's right. Absolutely. So you eventually get a diagnosis of autistic spectrum disorder. To the uninitiated, what does that mean? Autism is a neurological condition. You can have a variety of people who have it, from the person who can't talk at all to the person who never stops talking and is incredibly bright and a mathematical genius. But really the the thing that those people all have in common is an impairment in communication and impairment in social skills. How did that play out practically in Cam's life? For him, oh, well, he was massively high in anxiety 
and he had about six or seven tantrums a day, really from the time he was 18 months until he was about five years old. Just tantrum after tantrum because he couldn't cope with all the inputs and all the, the things that he was getting into his brain. He, he, he just couldn't cope, so he screamed. Um, he wouldn't look at you. He raced past you. He never listened. He couldn't speak until he was about three and a half. He uh, wanted to press all the buttons all the time in every single house we went into. And for a while, I, I tried to be the good mother. And I go, oh, Cameron, I think you should stop pressing the buttons. And you know, I'd smack his hand. And I'd take him away. And it just wouldn't work. He'd just go straight back to pressing the buttons after he'd had the tantrum. So I just gave up. You know, I said it for show, but really I knew it wasn't going to work. But you laugh about it now, but take me into those circumstances. How do you cope with this? You know what? I've never actually told anyone this in public but in my book, I wanted to put two pages at least of swear words in it, just straight swear words, because that was how bad I felt so much of the time. I would put my head down on the kitchen bench and go, I don't know if I can make another half hour. I really don't know. Poor soul. Yeah, it was pretty rough. For a long time, too. Yeah, for a long time. So it really started... Probably once he turned two, and I had my third baby about that time, so I was dealing with new baby, massively tantruming toddler who would never go in or out of the house without a fight. He'd never get in or out of the car without a fight. He wouldn't get in or out of the pool without a fight. You know, like everything you wanted to do with him, you had to fight him to get it done. So I had that, the baby, the six-year-old daughter who was going, Mom, can you help me? And so all of these things just, it was like massive pressure all the time. Only two pages of swear words? Yeah, just two. <laughs> <laughs> so once the diagnosis was given, yep. were the doctors more of a help then? Because you're quite exhaustive in you know, going about this I, I really was looking forward to getting the diagnosis. I knew what he had because three people had told me already. I had to wait three months to get in to see this doctor. Yeah. And we went in and he said, well, what do you think he's got? And I said, well, I think it's autistic extraction disorder. He goes, well, I agree, plus some ADHD. And I thought, hooray, now he's going to tell me what to do. But he didn't have anything. And this was the big problem. He said, well, you'll need lots of personal support. You should contact this association and you should get some speech therapy. I thought, well, what? That's it for three hundred bucks? That's all you've got? Yeah. And I, I was, I couldn't believe it. I thought if there was a child who had diabetes or cancer, you know, some equally horrendous health problem, there would be a protocol. You'd know what to do. You'd know what to try. You'd know you'd go and do this. You could do that, and you get this kind of outcome. I said, well, what kind of outcomes are you going to have in his life? He goes, well, I don't know. Nobody knew. No one could help. So I had to do it myself. That sounds so terribly helpful and not an unfamiliar story. It's not an unfamiliar story, yeah. and. Almost every doctor that I've seen with him has said, so how's he going? And I go, oh, well, at the moment he's going pretty well because I'm doing X and X and X. And they go, oh, well, that sounds pretty good. You know, keep on doing it. Patch on the head, I'm not off trying you go. To, I'm not trying to dismiss doctors. Doctors have their place no. and they do good things. But I think there's a basic lack of what to do next out there. So where did you go? What did you do? Oh, well, I went to the internet because that's where yes. you find everything, isn't yes. it? There are dangers in that, though. Well, that's right. Yes. So, you know, there's 25 different things you could do tomorrow and they all cost about zillions of dollars each. Yeah. So I looked up everything. I went right through all my research. I came across one program that's come out from the States, which I thought, yeah, that makes sense to me. And so we started to do that. And that's called the Relationship Development Intervention Program. And we've also gone into diet and what they call biomed, so supplements and trying to get the body balanced back to where it should be. So those are the two things that have really helped. The other thing that's really helped has been sound therapy because he has auditory processing disorders as well. 
So those three things are the things that we're going on with at the moment. Again, in practical terms, what difference has that made to his and therefore your life? Oh, well, I mean, amazing amounts of difference. We went from a child who was throwing seven tantrums a day to if we have one a week, we'd be, wow. we'd be doing well. Mm. And he's nearly nine. So five years of therapy... It's not easy. And every doctor I go to, I say, so have you got a magic bullet for me? And they go, no, there's Still no not. magic bullet. Sorry, nothing <laughs> like that. No. So we, we go on with the slow and the steady and the inching forward, three steps forward, two steps back kind of things that we go on with. And yet there has been a very significant difference made in his life. And oh, again, yes. Therefore yours. Yep. My child can talk now. He has a friend at school, which just brings a tear to my eye and a delight to my heart. And he gets on with his siblings and he loves his baby sister because we've now had the fourth child. As you've gone through this and undoubtedly done all your research, do you understand what it is about these therapies that's made such a difference to him? I'll tell you the thing about the RDI therapy which we've done, which was that um, the doctor who, who started it, he went back and he looked at normal child neurological development and he said, okay, for a baby to get to a child, he needs to do this step followed by this step followed by this step. And it's, you know, it's basic milestones. Every kid does the same thing in the same order. So we said, well, let's go back. There's no point in reinventing the wheel. What we'll do is we'll take all the stress out of learning and we'll break things down, we'll slow things down, and we'll just go back and reteach them step by step. And it's true. My little boy's brain is so clogged up with stuff and he can't process the things that come in that if I take all the extras out, slow everything down, he can actually start to learn things. And that makes a huge difference. What an insight. Mm. On Open House, we're with Cecily Patterson, author of Love, Tears and Autism. Let me go back to where we started. Amidst all of this, you do actually recognise that God has answered your prayer for him to show you love. Look, I do, you know. <laughs> she, I'd love you to see her face because she's got such a kind of hesitating smile on it. I'm not ever going to say that I would wish anyone to have autism in their lives or their child lives because yeah. it is awful. It's not a great thing to deal with. On the other hand, I wouldn't want to be me back then still today. I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot about what I expect of my children and what I expect of myself and how much I care about what other people think of me and how much I care about being seen to do the right thing. I don't care about that stuff anymore. Totally. You know? That's you have, liberating. You've got to get over that. And it's taken these, these things to teach me those things. So I don't want to be me back then. Were there times when you felt apart from God or that he didn't care? Yep, absolutely. I've been extremely angry going for walks and you know, sobbing as I'm walking, going, well, why, why, what is this all about? How can I go on? How long is this going to take? And it do it takes a long time and it is really hard. But on the other hand, it's all grace. And, you know, everything that we do, we don't deserve it. And God just shows grace through all the things that we've had. And I have to say, you know, there have been so many good things. We've had dedicated friends who've prayed for him on, ongoingly all the time and that's been terrific and he has made great progress so we have been helped and we have been loved and people have learned and and we've all learned we've all learned how to love people who aren't so lovely yes. and that, you know how can you say that's a bad thing it's not a bad thing so you're walking in tears punching the sky yeah. asking why 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 what would your answer be now well i already know the answer i already knew the answer back when it started <laughs> the answer is 
love is hard and God loved us before we were lovely. And I'm only doing to my son what God did for me. That's all. It's just the same. What a beautiful answer. These strains put pressures on your marriage, on your other kids? Yeah, look, you know, there's a statistic that floats around the internet which says that 85% of couples with a child with a disability will divorce. Now, I don't know if that's based in any sort of fact or research, but it's fairly terrifying. And yet, you know, life puts pressure on a couple and a disabled child puts a lot of pressure on. So you've got to find ways to get through the pressure. Ever thought, I'm going to clear out? Well, what would happen to my child if I did? Hmm. And that's why. Of course you can't run away. I mean, running away, is the, it's a fool's game. You can't run from everything you've left anyway. You take it all with you. Did Hubby ever feel like that? If he did, he never told me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he did. There's He's a, a gracious man. man too. <laughs> you say you are a strong believer in specific prayer. Yeah. And you started praying for specific things for Cameron. Yeah. Why was that? And what did you pray? Oh, well, I always figure that we're in a relationship with a God who's a person, right? So then I'm in a relationship with my children who are people. If they walk into the kitchen and they go, oh, mum, could I please have something? I'd rather them say, I want a chocolate chip cookie now, mum, please. And actually, I'd like three of them because then I can go, yeah, you could have three or perhaps no, you better wait till dinner. You know, there's a specific answer you can give. So I figure God is probably more liking us to come and say, I'd like this, but if you say no, well, that's okay. This was something you discovered? Oh, yes. I've probably discovered this over over various things in my life. One was I prayed with a friend for some more babies for her. She got triplets. I thought, yeah, you know, next time I'm just going to be really specific. Lord, one at a time would be oh, good. <laughs> remind me to be careful around you praying. That's right. <laughs> well, it goes back to the first thing. You pray for love. Yeah. And... It's often the way of God that, okay, I'll give you love, but you'll find out at a new depth That's and right. a new size. Yeah, definitely. What do you learn about him then? Everything is grace. That's all I can keep coming back to. I'm not good enough. I never was. I, I, I still thought that God loved me because I was glossy or because I had nice parts about me. I don't have any nice parts about me, really. Um, but he still loves me anyway. Yeah. What an insight to have. Mm. Why did you decide to write the book? Well, it's sort of this, the thing that I have to do is to write. So I've been keeping a, a blog for ages. I started out when he was first diagnosed writing this blog. I thought this will allow me to look back and see if we've made any progress, number one. Number two, who knows if there's someone else out there who might find it useful. And so it kind of progressed from there. I just thought, oh, well, I've got a lot of stuff on this blog and I quite like to write a book, so let's see what happens. Yeah, because there is a need for people in this very circumstance not to feel so alone. Well, and this was the thing as well. I used to go out every Thursday morning and my mother-in-law would look after the two little boys. Good luck to her. I just want to say thank you. (laughs) And I'd go out, I'd do all my jobs, then I'd sit in a cafe and I would sit and read the book on autism that I had from the library or the bookshop or whatever. This is just after the diagnosis. And I'd sit there and I'd sob because the um, technical books were really technical and quite... Um, devastating in lots of ways. I said, oh, this is wrong and that's wrong and this is wrong and this is what you have to do. It all just seemed like too much. So that was terrifying. And then the personal stories that I read either were so, so 
difficult and the child couldn't speak and the child couldn't walk and you know they had all these problems and I thought well that's not really my child or they were so sweet and chirpy and I thought well I don't feel like that I feel really bad yes so I wanted to write a book which was honest and yet hopeful as well if you can have the two which I think you can I mean just in the 15 minutes we've been speaking I think here is a woman so grounded and so real and I think what a Great gift to so many, and those beyond autism, I think. Actually. Well, I think really the the book is about autism, but it's really about dealing with chronic difficulty, difficulty yes. that's long-term and isn't going to go away. Yeah. Yeah. Let me ask you the question that you posed to one of those doctors. Cam's now nine? He's turning nine, yeah. What kind of future does he have? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, if you'd asked me when he was three if this child would ever get to school I would have said absolutely not there's no way he could cope with school there's no way the teacher could cope with him and yet he's going to school every day and if you read his report card you'd think he was a normal kid in the middle of his class so that's in five years I don't know what his future is and I don't want to think about too much but I want to think about next week and next year those are the things that I'll think about what kind of confidence do you have in his future um Well, I think that he's a smart little boy. He's got people around him who love him and we're doing everything that we can at the moment. So it's as good as it's going to be. I don't don't know anything beyond that. And a God that exercises that same love even in curious ways. Yep, that's right. And surprising ways. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Very surprising. As I said, be careful what you pray for. (laughs) Cecily Patterson, thank you so much for coming in on Open House. It's a really important book, Love, Tears and Autism. I've loved chatting. Thank you so thank much. Thank you. Can I just mention my Facebook page? Yeah, sure, sure. We've got um, oh, quite a number of people who've read the book or who are interested in autism signed up to the Love, Tears and Autism page and we post things that help about autism and things that are community-minded and you know supportive, that sort of yep. thing. Yeah. We'll put it straight up on our Open House community thank Facebook you. page. Good on you. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed this Open House podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real World Technology Solutions. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.